and I think they're in Nebraska right now, um, or somewhere in America. Well, there wasn't enough space in their little bitty uh, smart car. Anyways, so we're just going to move right on into the lesson. This lesson is on the kingdom of heaven, and we're going to start, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to start in Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. This is Jesus talking. He's telling a parable. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field. Then the which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Is this thing popping? Okay. So in both these parables, we have someone who finds a treasure. One is a treasure in a field. One is a pearl. And we see in one of them, it doesn't really say what he's doing. It just says he's in a field. Another one, he says he's looking. The merchant is looking for the pearl. This might be, hopefully, without drawing too much out of the text. It could represent someone who, man in the field, he's not looking for kingdom of heaven. He's not looking for what that is, but he finds it. Another one could be someone who looks for it. You know, there are people in this world who don't have hope, and they're looking for hope. And they'll go searching everywhere. They might try different religions. They might try entertainment. But they're not satisfied until they find hope. Other people, it's just more dropped into their lap. But either way, both these people, they find it, and they give up everything to have it. So we're going to focus on the one with the guy in the field here. We have a guy, and he's in the field, and the text doesn't say why he's in the field. He's just walking. Maybe he's just taking a shortcut to get home, or maybe he's just going on a walk in the evening. Why he's there is not really the point, but I tell you one thing that's also not the point is this passage is not encouraging. Oh, there's, there's treasure right there. There's a pearl. This passage is not encouraging you to go tramping around on your neighbor's property. We live in Texas, and we hold high respect for private property. And if you get on somebody else's property, no matter why you're on there, even if you're looking for a treasure, in fact, if you're looking for a treasure and you got a shovel, they're really not going to like the fact that you're on their property. But this passage is not about going and getting on other people's property. Um, but anyways, we have this man, and he finds a treasure. How he found the treasure in the field, I don't know. He could just be walking, and I say there's a box, and... Maybe the corner of it sticking out, and he walks by, and he stubs his toe, and it really hurts. But he finds, he's like, what is a box doing here? So he finds it, and he opens it up, and there's a treasure. So, so what does he do with the treasure? What did the text say he did with the treasure? Somebody raise your hand. June. Well, before he did that, what did he do? Did he take the treasure with him? No, he didn't do it. Texas, Texas, he went and he buried the treasure. Again, he found it and he reburied it. Why, why did he bury the treasure? You know, the Bible's not telling us. Um, okay, yeah, so he reburies the treasure. The Bible here is not telling us that to get the kingdom of heaven, we have to be sneaky. Yeah, that's not the point. The Bible says that he buried the treasure to emphasize how valuable this treasure was. It was so valuable, he didn't want to take a chance of anybody else stubbing their toe and finding it. So he buries it, and you can, you can know for certain he didn't let any corner stick out of the dirt. It was buried flat. So then he goes home, 
and he sells everything in order to get the treasure. He sells all his stuff. So, well, he sells it so he can buy the field the treasure is in. Because if you have the field, you have everything in it, including the treasure. So, again, he bought the field to get the treasure. And what did Jesus compare that treasure to? Um, more specifically, it says, he, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in the field. You know, what's the kingdom of heaven? I'm sorry, this mic, I can hear it. Okay. You know, the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, oh, and I forgot, I had slides here. He sold his house. It's a rundown shack. I'll explain that later. And money. And those are dirty shoes. We're going to get onto that. I forgot my own slides. Anyways. And I lost my place. Okay, right here. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, the kingdom of heaven, it's actually a phrase only found in the book of Matthew. And the first time we see it is in chapter 3, verse 2, when John the Baptist, you know who John the Baptist was, right? He's the guy who wore camel skins and dipped his grasshoppers in honey. You know, we, we have it, and um, he's the first person to say, he says in chapter 3, and I'm going to read the text, says, and those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness in Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and honey. See, he ate locust and honey. doesn't say he dipped them in it, but I think if your diet is grasshoppers and honey, at some time you're going to dip your grasshoppers in your honey. But anyways... John's proclamation here wasn't about what he ate. It was about Christ. He was sent to prepare the way for Christ. And Christ really is the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, I read some John MacArthur. John MacArthur said, The kingdom of heaven is Christ and everything and everyone under his dominion who belongs to him. The kingdom of heaven is all the church, all the believers, and dwelling with Christ in paradise. And John is basically telling people, he says, Repent, Christ has come bringing the kingdom with him, and you can be part of that kingdom if you repent. So Christ is our access to the kingdom of heaven. We can't have the kingdom without Christ. And yet Christ is kind of like a door to a house. If you go and you find the door to a house, you can get inside and you can have the shelter, you can have the air conditioning, you can have the food, anything in that house you have. Or in the parable, Christ is represented as treasure. If you find the treasure, you can have access to all the wealth and blessings the treasure offers. So how valuable is this kingdom? You know, I'm going to go back. That slide, I think that's more applicable. Anyways, Paul writes about the kingdom and Ephesians. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Then we skip down to verse 11 in the same chapter. It says, In whom we also have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things according to the counsel of his will. And then down verses 16, 17, 18, he says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and the love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give, you, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 
So Paul's message is that Christ has blessed us with so much. He's blessed us with this inheritance, and he prays that the Ephesians, the people he was writing to, they have their eyes open to see how valuable it is. And you know, Peter, in his uh, first book to the people he was writing to, he also writes about the inheritance or the kingdom we've been given. This is probably one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. First thing he says about this inheritance, he says is incorruptible. Now, it mean, incorruptible meaning it can't be ruined. And this is why I have the shoes up here. You know, what happens if you, leave, if you go outside and you decide you don't want your shoes on anymore and so you take your shoes off and then you forget about them, you go inside and maybe a week later, it's time to go to church and your parents say, where are your shoes? It's five minutes till we got to go and I can't find your shoes. And you say, I don't know where they are. And so you go running around and you look outside and it's rained on and they're all muddy, and the dog's gotten to them, and now they look like that, and they're ruined. They're corrupted. That's what it's like for something to get corrupted. But our inheritance, the kingdom of heaven, it's never going to be corrupted. All right, Peter also says it's undefiled. This means that there's nothing bad or sinful in it. You know, compare it to maybe like a, sometimes you might watch a really good movie, but then they have one bad thing in it. You're like, why did they stick that in there? Or you go to the store, and there's lots of good stuff you can buy at the store, but there's also lots of bad stuff. And you're like, why? Almost anywhere you go, and it's only getting worse as our culture declines, but you just see sin everywhere. Our inheritance is not like that. Our inheritance we're going to have, it's not going to have the smallest inkling of sin. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be undefiled. And the only way we can experience that undefiled inheritance is if we're perfect too. You know, Christ has made us perfect. Writers of Hebrews says, and for this cause, he is the mediator of a new Testament that by means of death for the redemption of transgressions that were under the first Testament, they which are called might receive the promise and eternal inheritance. Christ is the one, even though we're, we're sinners, he's the mediator so we can receive that inheritance. And... All right, the last thing is our inheritance is unfading. And there are two ways I can think of something unfading. One thing is a literal fading of appearance. I, I used to get bicycles. I mean, I still have a bicycle. But when I was younger, I'd get a bicycle. I usually liked getting green and black or green and silver ones. They looked really cool. I think I had two or three green bikes. Anyways, I'd get them, but I'd leave them out in the sun, and the color would fade, and... The chain would got a rusty, but you know they didn't look as cool after a while, and their color faded. And so that's one way something can fade. And you know when we get to heaven, nothing we have is going to fade. Nothing is going to lose value. Another way you can think of it is in fading of oh, how we perceive it. You know, sometimes we get something new, and after a while, it doesn't seem exciting anymore. And I'm sure y'all like Legos, right? I've seen you leave Legos all over the floor. You know. You could get a Lego set, and you build it, and it's cool for a while, but after a while, it's not really cool anymore, so you smash it, and you build something else. And then you smash that, and you build something else, because it's after a while, it doesn't seem as important or exciting. 
The kingdom of heaven is not like that. The kingdom of heaven will never, ever lose its value. You know, and well, that was the next point. I'll get there. Kingdom of heaven, we're going to get there, and we're going to always be excited. You know, like if you go, like I said, get a Lego set, you're excited about it for a while, but you're not anymore. When we get to heaven, it's going to seem amazing, and it's going to seem amazing the next day, and it's going to seem amazing the next day, and it's going to seem amazing forever and ever. Does that make sense? All right. Another thing about the kingdom is one day this world is going to burn up and it's going to crumble away. But whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't really know exactly who wrote Hebrews. I think it was Paul, but nobody knows 100% for certain. But whoever wrote it, he said, talking about when Moses was on Mount Sinai and Sinai and God showed him his glory and he gave him the Ten Commandments, the cloud was wrapped in smoke and fire and everything trembled. And one day God's going to come down and he's, the world's going to tremble again, but it's going to tremble. But more than just a mountain, the whole world's going to tremble, and it's going to crumble, it's going to be burnt up. But the person who wrote Hebrews said, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, this world, the entire universe, were any of you here for Sunday school and we watched the video with all the stars and galaxies? All that one day is going to be destroyed. But if your inheritance is the kingdom of heaven, that's not going to be destroyed. Even when the entire world, I mean, you just go stay on top of a mountain, you look. This world seems huge, but it's all going to crumble and burn one day. Kingdom of heaven will not be like that. So our treasure is this. This is the kingdom of heaven. It won't burn, it won't crumble, it won't lose its value. And moving on to my notes. So our guy finds his treasure. And he goes and he sells everything he owns to buy it. Now, think about this for a second. It looks like he's just buying a field, right? Because nobody knows treasures in it. Can you imagine what all his friends are thinking when he goes and he sells everything? They're going to be like, that man is a doofus. He's going and he's selling his house and just whatever else he has in order to buy some grass. He's just, he's, he's crazy. But is, is the man crazy? No, he has faith because he believes what's in that field is more valuable than anything he could have. You know, old preacher named Matthew Henry, he wrote, the richest minds are often found in the grounds that appear most barren. This field doesn't appear like much, but he knows there's treasure in it. He's not a fool because he believes that what he has is going to make him more wealthy, more successful than he's ever been in his life. So this treasure is what's the kingdom of heaven. There's something else in this parable that represents the world. And that's what the man had and he sold. And you know, nothing in this world is comparable to the kingdom of heaven. That's why when a while back I had the slide up there and the house looked run down. That kind of represented this world. This world, compared to what heaven will have to offer, it's not really that good. And Jesus said in Matthew 19, 29, he says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Then he says in Luke 9, 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
Now, this doesn't mean we can't have nice things like bikes or Legos or shoes. You better take care of your shoes, though. But it doesn't mean we can't have nice things. But what it does mean is that if we had to give up anything in this world, it's worth gaining the kingdom of heaven. There are people who have given up everything, but they feel like God has called them to go preach to other countries. Or there are people who sell a lot of their stuff so they can give to people who go and who preach to other countries, or to give to churches in other countries who are needy. Or there are people in countries where if you become a Christian, your family will hate you. And so he says, gives up fathers or mothers. He doesn't mean you need to go leave your family. Okay, you all have wonderful families. The Bible's not telling you to leave your family. But in some places, families will not accept Christianity. And he's saying, if you have to leave your family in order to follow me, it's worth it because this kingdom is more valuable than even your family. All right, John Piper, I quoted him last time, I quoted him again. He says, the kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth and gaining the kingdom is a happy trade-off. So we have, you lose your home, your family, you could give up money, you could give up anything in this world. But to lose that all and to just have the kingdom of heaven, that's a happy, happy trade-off. And you know, if you think about it, as Christians, especially as us in America, we don't have, we've, or we, most of us have not had to give up everything. Some people have. But we're like, look, we're wearing nice clothes. We're sitting in a nice air conditioning building. You have water bottles outside. We have balls we can play with. We have cars. We have the kingdom of heaven. We have an everlasting inheritance. It's going to be much greater than anything we could ever imagine. And we don't deserve that. But not only has God given us a way through Jesus Christ to have that, he's given us so much more. Everything we have in this world that really doesn't matter. It's all going to break and burn up with, like I showed earlier. We're blessed with that. We've been blessed with more than we could ever dream of. But if we were called to give up something, you know, if someone said, deny Christ or you're losing your job, I don't want Christians working for me. Or if the world got bad enough where the government would take all your money away if you were a Christian, it's worth giving that up in order to continue following Jesus. So at the very end, what was our verse? For where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. What's, what's the most important thing to you? Is anything in this world more important than the kingdom of heaven? Nothing is more important. Nothing is as valuable. So daily, you know, if you have not, if you've not repented and believed in Jesus, you need to do that. And you need to follow wherever God leads you because, you know, it's worth giving up everything you have. And so make sure your heart is with Christ and his kingdom and seek him daily. And you know, the more you seek God, the more you read your Bibles, the more you pray to him, the more you come to learn about him, the more valuable he will be. You know, I think when the guy got the treasure, he might not have realized how valuable that treasure was till he started using it. And he realizes, wow, he's got more than he, he could, he realized the more you seek after Christ, the more you realize you have. Because the more you seek after God, the bigger and the greater and the more awesome he seems. And the more you realize you don't deserve him. But he came down and he made a way so you can have him. And one day when we get to heaven, we're, we're going to be able to see with our own eyes how valuable and great this was. All right? And that's it. We finished.
early, but we're going to have Mr. I'm going to pray. Mr. Fezzington's going to come up and read a missionary letter, all right? Dear Lord, thank you for this afternoon we've had. Thank you that we've been able to worship you, and thank you for your kingdom, which lasts forever, and you've given us a way to, to access it, Lord. Pray that if anybody here has not repented and put their faith in you, that they would so they can enter into this kingdom one day, Lord, and live with you forever. I just pray you'd keep us safe as we go our ways and just honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.